And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. And away we go. And here we go. We're uh, doing it again. John is back from Tel Aviv, which is always nice to have that smiling, lovely face right here on my TV. Thank you so very much. <laughs> uh, glad lovely I was, as ever. How was the travels? Tel Aviv, I saw all the sirens uh. and the missile warnings. <laughs> and But, I mean, I've talked, like I talked to Neil Lahat's like one of my good buddies, and he's, you know, he's born and raised there, obviously, and was talking about how it's common, man. Happens all the time. Almost daily. Oh, it's funny. It was, um, I think, it's probably the third time I've been in uh, Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. and every time there has been mis- missiles launched into the city or you know the surrounding areas and stuff. So I just say it's just Tuesday in Israel. Don't worry I, about it. I gotta tell you though, the it looks beautiful from all the videos and the pictures, and I've never been. But I mean, every time someone from Bellator posted a video, they're like on the beach having lunch, doing this, and obviously the missiles are flying over the top, and everyone sirens are going <laughs> off. But I mean, it looked absolutely amazing. I'm like, this is, it looks clean, looks beautiful, looks people there. Are, I, I've already met a bunch of people from Israel and they seem to be very, very nice. So everyone's oh, told me that phenomenal. Israel, Israel's a beautiful country. If, if no one's ever been there, you got, you got to go, you have to go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tel Aviv is, you know, it's a big city and it's, it's beautiful because it's right on the water, the Mediterranean. The water's pretty. The food is phenomenal there. I mean, it's so good. You eat so much, and it's just all fresh and everything. So, mm. it's uh it's great. I was actually eating with our executive producer, Scott Fishman, when mm-hmm. the alarms went off the first time, right? And he's like, and 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 they're trying to you know get everyone out of the dining area and to go down into their shelters that they have, right? And I'm like, Fish, I'm not going. And he goes, No, you've got to go. <laughs> I go, Fish, I'm not going. And he goes, I'm telling you, you got to go. All right, to make you happy, I'm going, but I'm not going to be happy because if I if I if my coffee gets cold, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> it's the worst when you get your coffee right to the way you want it, uh, right? The, it, the right it, mixtures. Yeah, exactly. It tastes perfect. It's halfway, mm. and now you want me to leave stuff. Yeah, uh, but it was a good, I, it was a good time here, though. I get mad when when waitresses or waiters come by and they just fill it up without asking you, and it's the perfect mix that you would like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they like top it off. You're like, ugh. I just yep. got it where I want it, and you just jacked it all up. Um, but one of my little pet peeves, you know, I always kind of just put my hand over my coffee, like don't touch it kind of thing. Um, so, look, really, realistically to me, like the the fight that I wanted to talk about the most from the Tel Aviv show was the Karatanov and Litton Vassell fight. Because that fight to me was, you and I have this conversation all the time about weight cutting and how it affects people and their performances along those lines. This is another thing that helped, that made me want to bring this up as well. Come on, Phil, come on, JT, Phil, tell me. Phil tell me Davis, right. Phil Davis was able to get a win over Linton Vassell with a beautiful uh, head kick knockout. Beautiful. Okay, beautiful job. And then we had done a little quick conversation talk about how you thought Phil Davis was a kind of a good matchup. Not 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 that he would win, but it was a, a kind of a decent matchup, or stylistically would kind of raise a little bit of fits for John Jones. I do. Linton, I'm gonna. I want to. I would just want to run back. I want to. I want to come back to that after we're done talking about all this, so we okay. can talk about that specifically. But I want to say, Lynn Vassell, I think, has been killing himself to get to that weight 
And now, and I, but this is what I don't understand. Before you pat yourself on the back, okay? Let's hold it. Let's hold it there for a little bit. Let's let's. It's already, let's I'm already doing it. Doesn't I know? I know these things. <laughs> I know. But before you go patting yourself on the back too much, okay? I just, to me, the guys at 205, they have the advantage at all if they can wrestle a tad bit against the heavyweights. I think the heavyweights have always just. They have not been able to wrestle. DC is a rarity. Cain Velasquez is a rarity. Look how well they did in the heavyweight division. Guys that can wrestle in the heavyweight division seem to be leaps and bounds above all the guys that I've ever seen. And whether the UFC, whether Bellator, Strike Force, doesn't matter. Those guys just, if you don't have any wrestling, like that's why Josh Barnett, I think, was so good. He was like one of the first guys that could wrestle pretty well and was more of a jiu-jitsu slash kind of practitioner i mean catch wrestler yeah he just worked at, and he had he started developing good stand-up and you know he tried it sometimes against guys like you know uh what was his name uh pedro hizzo when he shouldn't have done it but that was a fight that kind of launched him into into being a star because he was no one thought he was gonna try to stand with pedro hizzo and he did and he I thought he did really well up until the point where he got knocked out but i'm just saying those lynn vassell though i think has found a home at heavyweight I'm happy to see him there, and Karatanov being maybe one, maybe just one fight away from a title shot after his dominant win over uh, Big Country and his, uh, who was his last win over? Um, oh, Mitrione. Mitrione. Over, over those, both those, both those performances, both those wins comes out, and then now he ends up losing to Linton Vassell. That just inserts another heavyweight right into that mix, and I'm excited because the, those guys, I think these guys are all lacking what he has. He possesses all those, those tools to become the champ. And his size is obviously, I mean, I didn't realize how big he was. I've seen him in person all the time. I didn't realize how big he was. So I saw them square up face-to-face against Caraton. I was like, good heavens. You are just as big, if not bigger, than this guy. And you were making 205. Insane. Lynn Vassell is freaking huge. He probably yeah. has one of the best just physiques if you look at him he is just put together you know the old thing it's put together like a brick shit house man yeah the guy has got no fat on him he is solid at 240 pounds that's what he weighed in at he looked great and this is you know, that's the whole point this is what people don't get and this is where i say is the problem with trying to lose the weight it's not even so much the that weight cut right at the end which is horrible for you but let's talk about the buildup of that trying to be the lighter fighter being a guy like Linton Vassell who is a 240 pound guy saying I'm going to cut down to 205 so every time you know you're in practice and you are going hard and practice ends because you know oh I've got to I got to run extra miles you get on the treadmill while everyone else goes home and then when it comes to your nutrition, you're cutting back on calories the entire camp because you can't put that in. So what's the two things that really start to take place is sleep is hugely important in you recovering from training to go and do it again and to be able to be healthy and get better. Sleep is a huge thing. Food is another element of that that now you're taking, and when you should be resting, you're not, you're running, you're doing extra to try to help keep yourself down. Then you're also cutting out all those calories. And over that eight-week period, it starts to tear you apart. And it just has the entire effect. And then you have that final weight cut, 
And yeah, you get a nice meal the day before the fight. But other than that, you have been killing yourself. And that's what he was doing. And now look at what, you know, Neil Melanson was the guy that, you know, talked to me about how good Linton Vassell was on the ground. He was going to fight Liam McGeary at light heavyweight. And Neil was in his corner. He says, John, I am telling you, he is the strongest man I have ever rolled with. Mm-hmm. He is so good on the ground. It's just little things that I had to tweak as far as him understanding how to create just that extra bit of pressure and not use his strength to get there. He Just use technique. Use your body positioning. And he just pre- he proved that in you know this fight against Karatanov. He has yeah. that body positioning. He has great technique on the ground. He just beat Karatanov up. He yeah. outpositioned. He warmed down, made him turn, re- let him roll right underneath him. You know, stayed with his hips perfect, and then just sat there. You, Karatanov almost tore his glove off trying to hold his glove. Yeah. He, and the referee, because of the position, I understand the referee being Todd Anderson. He just pulls at Karatanov's hand to get it off the glove because he doesn't want to stop the action of the fight at that point. Yeah. And it just tears the glove, but he ended up stopping the fight too. But, That's you know, it was, a, it was a great performance for Litton, and I was, I was very happy for him. Felt bad for Karatanov because, yeah, in my opinion, he's one fight away from yeah. getting that shot against Bader. To, to touch back on what you were talking about, that sleep is, to me, is the most important. Hydration and sleep are the two most important things, I think, in a camp to keep your body going for the next workout. But um, sleep is sleep is there. Huge. But what's next is food and the intake of food. But here's the other thing is that when you can't and you're watching your calories and to once again, try not to pat yourself too much on the back. I'm going to agree with you a little bit is that you have to. It's hard to get good, a good night's sleep with no food or calories in your stomach. So, so you're, yeah, so you're, you're cutting down your calories to say like two or 20, you know, 2,500 calories a day, you know, and you're burning probably close to 4,000. I mean, I would imagine somewhere in there just to get your, just to get your weight down, you know? Easy. And so you're only eating about 2,500 to maybe 3,000 at the very most probably. I mean, mix that's probably with your shakes and all the other, you know, stuff that you're getting, which is all more liquid stuff that's really just coming right through your body, you know, and you're really just putting it into your muscles as fast as you can just so you can have something there to work out to the next session. But I don't know if anyone's at home has ever tried going to sleep on an empty stomach. It's fucking miserable. It's miserable. You know, I've caught myself at several moments getting up at three in the morning, walking to the fridge and just drinking as much OJ as I possibly could to get something in my stomach and like that being thirsty. And you're just and as soon as you got done, I was like, what were you doing? Like, I, just I, do cra- I was like, what was I doing? <laughs> it's almost like sleepwalking to the fridge. Like it's it's horrible. But yeah, to me that that's definitely one of the one of the downfalls, I think, of guys that cut weight, cut a lot of weight. I've never had to cut that much weight. So I can't speak on terms of like the guys that like, you know, like I always bring up Khabib and I always bring up Islam and Makachev and, you know, and I know Ryan Bader cuts a ton of weight, you know, Linton Vassell obviously cut a bunch, a bunch of weight. Forrest Griffin used to talk about it all the time about how he cut a ton of weight. Yep. And it's just, it's, you can't have great performances in the gym if you're always worried and monitoring, monitoring your monitoring. Monitoring, monitoring your weight. Gosh, Josh, can you not say this word? Um, you know, and so I think it does. It has an effect on your performances in the gym, as well as the technique and and the stuff that you're trying to learn throughout your camp as well. What's going to work for your game plan? And then when you get to the fight, you just need to put it all together. But 
can you do it? And I don't know if you can. Like, I mean, certain guys can, and they've done it for years, but I don't know, man. Like, I just feel like we might be trending towards these guys. I, I think I feel like we should be trending towards weight classes every ten pounds. That'll stop people, I think, from cutting a, a, an immense amount of weight, which I would like to see. And then we'll get better performances and better fights out of it as well. Uh, that's the whole. In the end, I, I this is. I say this all the time. You know, I'll get someone saying, you're an idiot. I'm probably right. <laughs> but there's only one time that the weight really matters. You know, you've talked about, you know, you had uh, fights in, in Dublin, Ireland, where the guys came in and said, hey, you know, I'm weighing this. You weigh, let's, let's fight up this weight class. And you look and it's like, I don't give a shit what weight class somebody's in. I give a shit about the matchup. Yeah. And if, you know, and if I'm going to watch two guys, if I was going to watch Frankie Edgar against, you know, Marlon Marais and their teammates, I'm just saying, yeah. I know they're not going to fight. But if I was going to watch those two, I don't care if it's at 135 and I don't care if it's at 145 and I don't care if it's at 155 because I know if it's at 155, both of them aren't, aren't going to be losing any weight, really. I mean, maybe uh, Marlon might, but yeah, you know, it's a, but the fight doesn't matter what weight class it's in. I care about the matchup, not the weight. The yeah. only time the weight matters is when it's a championship fight. That's when weight matters because it's for that title. Other than that, it doesn't mean anything. If you're a promotion, though, you you put yourself, you cut, you catch yourself in a dilemma, though. For guys yeah, like do. like Ryan Scope and Peter Quigley that did that, and they agreed upon the weight. To, I believe it was 170 they agreed upon, but they were supposed to fight yeah. at 155. They said, why put ourselves through the, the pain and the agony, you know, these next three days? Let's just agree to the weight. And they did. They agreed to the weight, and they both fought. It was ended up being pretty much the fight of the night. It was fucking absolutely amazing. Um, but as a promotion, what do you do? Now you have guys that should be fighting at 155, but now they're fighting at 170. What happens when they win a bunch of fights because they've continuously agreed to fight guys at 170? Their opponents have agreed, like, we're both 170. Do you still have them eventually fight for the title at 155? Or do you just say, like, hey, we got to either start having you guys fight 170-pounders, for real, like the ones that cut all the weight to get to 170? Or do we – what do you do? That's that's kind of the dilemma, I think, with the, with the promotion, though. I don't know. I don't think it's a dilemma. I think it's real simple. As the, as the matchmaker, you have your board that has all your guys on it. It has your guys at the weight that they fight. And that's where that's where they're going to be now. If those two match up, and we'll say someone, we'll say Peter Quilly does it again the next fight. All you got to do is go to him and say, "Hey, is it that you want to fight at 170, or are you still try, trying to be a 155, or you just guys are agreeing?" Whatever he says, that's where he's going to be at. Yeah. And then if he comes down to that point where he's going to get a championship fight, he knows he's got to make that weight. There is no negotiating at that point. Yeah, but then you put, I guess, for the fighter, don't they feel almost like a f uh, for me, like having to uh, look fighting at 170, winning fights at 170, and agreeing upon knowing both of you guys are pretty much 55 pounders. They're fight. You guys have been used to fighting at 55. You're not fighting somebody like a Douglas Lima who walks around 200, you know, and then cuts down to 70. Can you? I mean, like Peter Quilly and Ryan Scope fighting Lima or Roy McDonald. Roy's not a big 170 pounder, but I'm saying Lima. Lima's a big 170 pounder. Uh, you Roy's a pretty big 170 pounder. Yeah, but like. I don't know if he's, he's not as big as Lima. Lima's huge. <laughs> not, most people aren't as big as Lima. <laughs> so if you put, but if you were to have someone like Peter Quilly or Ryan Scope fight those guys at one, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't even be, 
they'd be outweighed by a ton. So I, them having okay, to make that weight. Stop. Stop. Let's let's think about this. All right. George Masvidal fought at what for most of his career? Yeah, 155. 155. 155. What's he fighting at now? 170. I mean, I mean, is is that a weight? Is that the weight class? Okay. Yeah, that's what he's fighting at now. So then uh Nate Diaz fought most of his career at what weight? 55. And what's he fighting at right now? Yeah, at 70, but he's had better could performances fight, at 55. Could he fight at 155? He's had better performances at 55. Could he fight at 155? Yes, he could. Yeah, he could. Does Donald Cerrone, has he fought at 155? Does he fight at 170? Who cares? It yeah. doesn't matter. It matters as far as the matchup, not the weight. Just the way I look at it. Yeah, I care I, about no. who's fighting, not what weight they're fighting at. No, okay, I can agree with you on that. I can agree with you on that, but like I said, it gets it gets kind of like convoluted in that whole mixture of like when it comes down for the title shot, well, they haven't been fighting at 155. They've been fighting at 170. So as a promotion, what do you do? Like, do you, you put fight, your do you, best people in against each other, and there's your weight class, and can you make that weight? If you can make mm -hmm. that weight, we'll make that fight. There you go. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I guess for me, though, if I was getting wins at 170... And it came to the title shot. I would have to. I could I even make one seventy again? That'd be or one fifty five again. That's one. Two is okay. I'm sure, you could make it, but then I would start second guessing myself. Am I as good at one fifty five <laughs> than I am at one seventy? Am then I as then, good at then fight at one seventy? But then you know, you know, you got your hands full with somebody <laughs> like Lima or something. Man, take your fucking leg off. No, thank you, man. You you're overthinking this entire thing, man. It's not like, really. Not yeah, really. It's like it, it's a matter I, of it's all about well, matchups. I look I, I agree with you that it is all about matches, but I look at it in, in a couple different ways. To me, the weight cut is a sign that all the hard work is done and that mentally I can get through anything. So when it comes fight time, I'm ready for that. Now, if I've been ducking the weight cut for the last three or four fights and now all of a sudden I'm at a title shot at one fifty five and I haven't fought at one fifty five and I'm just thinking to myself Man, like, what happens if the weight cut kills me so much? Now I don't perform the way I've been performing. It starts, it starts creeping up on me, like doubt wise. I don't know if maybe other fighters don't think that way, yeah. but in my mind, I I've always felt that the weight cut is the last thing that you do to show that you had a great camp, to show that you've gotten through your camp, and also mentally, it lets you know, like, look, if I can get through this, I know I can get through fifteen minutes or twenty five minutes of a hard fought fight against anyone. I've done all the work. I've put it all in. The weight cut is the last little bit, and it lets me know that I'm ready to go. And if I've been ducking that weight cut, I guess, for the last four or five fights, now I'm at a title shot at 55, and i got to make that weight. I start, I think, second-guessing or doubting myself that I would be able to perform at the level I've been performing at that got me here. Because I'm not fighting at 170. I'm fighting at 55 now. So let me ask you a question. So are you going to fight at 155, or are you going to fight at 170? Well... Because you know I, that you and Gilbert are going to end up fighting again. All right? So let's just talk <laughs> about it. Let's be straight here. Uh, you're so funny. Is it going to be at 155 or 170? Does it really freaking matter? No. Well, here's the other thing. I want everyone to remember this, okay? We have fought three <laughs> times. We fought three times at 155, okay? But let's talk. He's been fighting at 145. Yeah, killing himself. Okay. And... Now I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what weight class he would want to fight at. I really he maybe he'll say fifty five and I'll have to make the weight. But I really have no desire to cut weight. So I was I was if he if he if he said sixty five or seventy, I'd be all for it. But 
I don't know what his body frame is these days. Okay, and again, this is my point. If they said, let's do it at 162, does it matter? No. Oh, does no, it matter? no. Does it matter if you guys are at 167? No. No, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You guys match up in size. You have fought three times before. Mm -hmm. You guys are appropriate fighters for each other as far as now. You know what? Years in the game, years on your body, mm -hmm. all this stuff. It's a good matchup because you guys are of the same age, same skill levels. It's all perfect. So that's a fight that you can make. But I, it doesn't freaking matter what weight mm -hmm. it's at. I wished I wish I was his age when we were fighting this fourth time. I wish we could reverse ages because I've got a little bit on him. I've got a little bit on him, but hey, it's okay though. Look, I, I think that's that's a, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. We'll see what happens uh, if anything comes to comes about of all that. Uh, look, the Lynn Vassell thing. Uh, the reason why I wanted to bring up the the Phil Davis thing is because you had talked about how Lynn Vassell or uh, Phil Davis had did so well against Lynn Vassell and how you felt that it would be a good matchup for John Jones. Give me, I want to know more. I want to know more and why and talk to me about that. Well, if you take a look at what John does well, right? He uses his length well. Well, he's got an 84-inch reach. Well, Phil Davis has got an 80-inch reach. Mm -hmm. So reach-wise, John's got a couple of inches on him and he's got a couple inches in height and that's all good. But name me the guys that have been explosive wrestlers that can take John down besides possibly DC? Who? I would have only thought maybe Bader. Okay, yeah. Bader long ago, maybe, yeah. or, and, and that Bader wasn't the same guy back then. Or you could say maybe Rashad. Yeah. But nobody, really, nobody was that guy that was going to do that, mm -hmm. where Davis is the guy that he has that ability to make John at least again think about someone trying to take him down. The only guy that was has successfully taken him down, and I don't count, you know, DC took John down in the fifth round of their first matchup. And that was because DC basically was going to prove to John at that point, I can take you down because John had stuffed everything. Mm -hmm. But Alexander Gustafson was the guy yeah. who took John down. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, a guy that has length in his reach, length in his height, and creates certain issues that Phil Davis can create those same issues. Phil Davis has very good stand-up now. He is slick with his stand-up. He is mobile. He does good things. And so I just look at it. All the people that are out there to fight, you know, Corey Anderson is a good fighter. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's got a chance against John. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's other guys out there right now. Yeah. The guy that I think yeah. is the best matchup for him. I'm not saying Phil wins. You know, John yeah. could beat him. But I think Phil could be John, too, because especially at this point in their careers, I just look at the way what Phil does and the way he does it and what John does, Phil can create a lot of problems for him, especially in five rounds. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not quite on that. And I'm a Phil Davis fan. I'm not quite on that bandwagon. I just I feel like John. I don't. I know I don't want to do the MMA math, but Phil's had a hard time with guys like Ryan Bader, and I feel like John is that. In, in getting in and using the reach and the range, it's going to be even harder for Phil to get in on him than it was to, for him to get in on Ryan Bader, you know? And so the length, the range, um, just how tall he can be and how heavy he can be to stuff the takedowns. Yeah, like I, I go back to Gus. Gus, I mean, he was able to get him thinking nonstop about the, the striking that he was able to get the takedowns. And that was 
and he was able to also reach the legs in positions mm -hmm. that John could just like big brother you, you know, put the hand on the forehead. And I still kind of see that potentially playing out where John, he uses his hand like in the face kind of thing to kind of just keep people at bay and keep them away. But it, do, it does it does make things interesting when you start talking about that because I see how, you know, Lynn Vassell goes up and has such a dominant performance and how, how good Phil Davis really is. And I've always known this. But I've also seen him struggle against guys like Phil, like uh, Ryan Bader, and I was like, it, he just doesn't seem like he's the same fighter when he fights Ryan Bader that he was when he fought Linton Vassell or when he fought. Yeah, but there's there's you know. always those guys mm -hmm. that, for whatever reason, their style gives you problems. Yeah, true. They, it could be you're you're the higher rated fighter by you know multiple levels, but yeah. that one guy and his style, it just gives you problems. Ken Norton. Wasn't the greatest heavyweight, you know, fighter in the world. He was, you know, he's good, good, but he gave Ali fits. Mm -hmm. You know, who is the better boxer if you're gonna look, Ken Norton or Muhammad Ali? It's Ali by far. But mm -hmm. Ken Norton created nothing but problems. His style created problems for Ali, and that just happens with certain fighters. True, very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Well, oh, let, let's ben talk, let's. Askren let's... is retiring. I heard that today. Nope. Well, let me uh, let me say goodbye and goodbye. You're not a Ben Askren fan. <laughs> no, I like Ben. I like Ben a lot. You're not a Ben Askren fan, a fight fan of Ben Askren. No, I should say. I'm not. It's like not. watching paint dry. <laughs> it's horrible. I have a question. I want. Yes. I want. I want to. And I'm not. And obviously, one of these guys is my teammate. But would you would you put Ben Askren, Jake Shields, John Fitch all in the same category? No. No, because because they've all kind of got like knocked, like you know they've been criticized for being those style of fighters. And yeah, Damian so, Maya was the same way for a while. Yeah, yeah, you know Damian had to really work on multiple aspects. He had to work on his takedown game because Damian couldn't take anybody down in the beginning. Then he actually worked on his wrestling and became a very good wrestler. His takedowns were good, and uh, his stand up was non-existent in the beginning, and. His stand-up is really effective now. You know, he's got good stand-up. Yeah. So, you know, Damian Myatt has evolved as a fighter, and that's why he's still fighting at the age that he's at. Jeez. Yeah. But if you look at, you know, John Fitch, John John has a style that you got to look at and understand it's different than Ben Askren's. John Fitch can hurt you with his hands. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now he's not going to hurt you on his feet most of the time. But the way he ground and pounds, he's going to hurt you. Yeah. Ben doesn't even do that in his ground and pound. He doesn't really hurt people. He just overwhelms them with, you know, they can't get away from his wrestling style. It would be the same as Khabib has learned. He's got the same type of dominant wrestling that Ben Askren lived on. It's just that Khabib can hurt you too. He's got heavy hands, and when he postures and he starts hitting, he hurts you. So, mm -hmm. big difference. Let me let me ask you this because this was what this is what's been on my <laughs> mind. This is what's been on my mind um, since Ben went to went to the UFC, even before he fought Robbie Lawler and before he fought Damian Maya. What went through my mind was this: the UFC pulled a Floyd Mayweather. They ended up getting him when he was older. Been yeah. on the bench and the sideline for years, and now they want to. I don't know if they're going to say this, but I'm assuming they're going to say, or people are going to say, people on people are already saying, 
see you one belt in other promotions and you're garbage. <laughs> but you also got you also got you also got the older, obviously one foot out the door, Ben Askren. And yeah. I feel I feel like he pulled he pulled a, the the UFC pulled a Floyd Mayweather. They basically waited till the person got older and then took the fight. Or if or they or they could have done him when they did Canelo, like you know when he was nineteen or twenty years old before he got any experience. So I'd always have that guy on my record as a win. So I feel like they got him at the end, and I, I, I feel for him because I feel like he definitely would have been someone who could have done so much work, especially earlier. Uh, in his career, um, being but being a champion in two different uh, organizations, and and says a lot. It says a lot, you know. And, he, and don't get me wrong, he faced some fucking stone cold killers. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, like I mean, he did beat Lima. I mean, back this is you know obviously a long time ago, but that's still it's still a win. A win is a win, you know. And yeah. Ben Ben talented as he is, but I feel like I feel like he would have been the first guy to own it at all three organizations had he came a little bit sooner had he came right out of one fc and went right into um ufc i think you potentially would have been looking at him as a welterweight champion Nah, you know it could have been if it, i don't even think of i honestly think that when he went to one fc things were starting to change for him and you know and he was there for probably three four years yeah and when he first went to one fc if, if he had gone to the ufc it would have been a little bit different but ben noticeably slowed down and ben was yeah. never a fast athlete but noticeably slowed down in what the way he attacked and what he could do. His wrestling changed, and I think that's because he, he had a bad hip. Guys on the inside knew knew about his bad hip, and he even said, I think you know he needs a hip replacement, but couldn't shoot off his one side at all because yeah. he had no power there. So he he was becoming a limited fighter in a lot of ways. And you, you look, and I understand, I don't blame... The UFC, I don't blame Dana back when, you know, Ben left Bellator and he was basically released as the champion because Bjorn Rebney, who was the guy in charge of Bellator, couldn't watch any more of his fights because he was just boring to watch. He mauled guys, but he never finished anybody. Yeah. And, you know, this game, this is a whole game about finishing guys. And, it, and it's honestly, you know, the style of a Ben Askren is it changed scoring in MMA. You know, it, it changed it because a lot of guys got into utilizing wrestling and being this guy that was able to take people down, get on top, but weren't able to actually finish a fight and would just do the same thing every round and grind these guys out and get a win when they could never finish the guy. And so the scoring kind of changed to, you know, say, hey, you've got to start trying to finish these fights. You got to start going for submissions. You got to start going for damaging shots. All of that changed based upon certain wrestlers being out there dominating, dominating, dominating. Jesus Christ, I'm starting <laughs> to sound like you now. Dominating position, but not ever coming even close to putting the guy in danger of ending the yeah. fight. So. You know, it, it was a hard thing to watch Ben have to go through some of the stuff that he did and, you know, the comments of, you know, hey, go somewhere and, you know, get some experience and stuff. That was all trash. Yeah. You looked at that and you go, come on. You know, if you don't if you don't like the guy's style, say, hey, you, I don't like your style. I think Dana actually said, hey, if, I'm, if I want to go to sleep, I just put in a Ben Askren fight. <laughs> that was yeah. It was kind of funny because it's kind of true. You know, he never had an exciting style, but he was – dominant at what he did for a long time yeah and he, he fought some great fighters 
the same but thing all happened early in their career. This the same thing happened with Jake Shields. Jake Shields was released pretty much from Strike Force, you know, and he left and went to the yeah. to, to the UFC because Scott was like, "Look, if you want to play, like, uh, you know, if you want to play hardball, I think they were having some issues with the contract as well." But the bottom line is, is like, hey, you're not packing out arenas selling tickets. You know, people are like leaving while you're fighting. I have no interest in having you as the champion or anything along those lines. And go ahead and there you will. There you go. I, like I'm done, you know. And and I think Bjorn probably did the same thing with Ben. But my whole my whole take on it just could I couldn't get it out of my mind that the UFC pulled a Floyd Mayweather, which is smart, obviously on their part, a hundred percent smart. I mean, we're yeah, going to show is. that this champion from two other organizations can come here and he can't get a win. And you know, he, but like we said, he had. I didn't know he had hip problems, but I didn't know that he was having some um, some issues. You know, some some injuries, but I didn't know how this severity of it all. But to me, he's he's kind of the 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 guy who just like outside of Fedor, who just until he went to the UFC at the end, I was like, is he ever going to get there? Is he ever going to go? Like, and but there was never a justification for him not being there. You know, the, Fedor just didn't want to go there. You know, he's, he had options to go there, and he's like, Oh, nah. he had a lot of options to go there. He just didn't like Dana and, and didn't like, you know, the UFC. Well, and so, and, and when it came down to business, it's like, no, I'm not doing business with you. Sometimes, you know, all these little comments that certain people make mm -hmm. come back to bite him in the ass. And that yeah. was what happened with Fedor. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going on with Christina Cyborg, like with, with uh, yeah. Cyborg. So, same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, outside of that, I mean, uh, my, my next question is, how are you going to remember him? How, I mean, out... How are you going to oh. remember him? Not just as 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 like his quirkiness, his funkiness, his his. For me, I'm going to always remember him as a social media god. Okay, because that's really, to be honestly, I could. I I was once he got on Twitter, I couldn't. I couldn't stop following him. He's every he's, he's, up. he's hilarious and. And I don't know. I feel like someone who can just roll with the punches and people talk shit to him and he just goes with it and doesn't even care. He, he knows it's a game. And I He's love it. Smart. Man. I you love know, that. Ben Askren is a smart guy. So it, it, he he took this and he understood what this is. He understands the entertainment value. And if you're going to say, if there's anything that I'm going to remember him for, it's his unbelievable wrestling that he brought into MMA and the way he was able to to dominate really good fighters with no striking ability at all. And then, you know, boom, roasted. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. That was good. Boom, roasted. I love it. I, yeah, I, I think those are the things that I'm going to remember him the most for is that even off of a loss, he came out and says, hey, you know, I, I fucked up. I mean, like those are things that yeah. a lot of fighters, I, I, I've trained with a lot of top guys. And after a loss like that or something, all they do is they turn to their coaches and they turn to their camps and they turn to their training, they turn to their wives, they turn to, and all they say is like, well, you know, my trainer didn't do this. Or they start blaming other people for their losses. And what I've yeah. always loved is that he just straight up was like, look, well, that sucked. You know, I yep. did it. To, well, I, did it. I, did, I did it myself and that's how it goes. Yeah. And man you, you can't you can't help but love somebody and, and appreciate what they brought to the sport i mean even though he was in all three different organizations but he he did it right i mean he did it right he just went out there and he won fights and i did a lot I've, of it under his own terms and that's yep. pretty good what i have to remind people though of fighters young fighters i want you guys all to take a lesson from ben Askren, and the lesson is is that as long as you're winning fights every promotion is going to want to sign you so don't get into this Oh, you know, look at the UFC. They wanted to sign him. They just wanted to wait until he couldn't win. 
You know, there until they couldn't like till till he had had some miles on him, until he had a year or two off. They wanted to do something along those lines, which was smart by their part. We're yeah. not. I'm not knocking them at all because I've seen other people. I've seen uh, you know, like I said, Floyd Mayweather has done this for years. Look, but if young fighters just take note. You guys got to take note. Winning fights solves everything. If you got problems, you got issues. You got like you're having problems with your contracts. You haven't. Don't worry about that shit. Win fights, and when you win fights. The promotion will come to you. They'll figure it out. You'll you'll start. And if you can't, guess what? There's two other really big promotions out there that are willing to pay as well. You know, so like, don't think that I'm not just saying the UFC, Bellator, One FC, all of them. If they're not giving you what you want, as long as you're winning, that's all you got to worry about. Don't worry about anything else. Ben Askren did that, and that's I think that's why he ended up making pretty damn good money when he eventually went to the UFC. You know, I thought he was making good money before, and he's doing. I mean, he did it right. Yeah. Everything that he did and the way you look at in the end, you know, he won. He's a winner. Yeah, he lost his last two fights. Big deal. The best part is he's mature enough to realize, oh, if if losing the last two fights in my career is the worst thing that happens to me, life's pretty goddamn good. Yeah. And he's left with nearly a million followers as well. So he's got (laughs) He left with the UFC with nearly a million followers. So he, he moved that number as well, which is good. Yeah, so yeah, that was it. Yeah, he's saying is that he ended up he ended up gaining a lot of social media's uh, followers and people that are interested in what he's doing and the way he talks smack. I think that helped develop everything as well. And I love it. I love everything about what he did. I thought he did a great job, and um, that's how I'll pretty much remember him as a as a fighter and as an athlete. And I've had opportunity to train with him and stuff, and didn't realize how good he was because I had never really met him until he came in and trained at AKA when DC had first come. I was like, oh, who's this guy? Yeah, he's kind of goofy, kind of you know, kind of walks. He is he goofy. Funky hair. He, he the, walks funky. He does everything yeah. funky. Man, he can wrestle. I'm like, who is this guy? And then sh- shit, I was watching him like I was watching him wrestle with Koss and with Fitch, and I was just like, ooh, that's not looking good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, but uh, but it I, it was very uh, I felt good. I felt blessed to to be able to meet him, talk with him, and train with him, and also just watch him fight. You know, good stuff. Wait, what I else? Did- I just look at best of luck to him, man, and I'm yeah. glad he's getting out on his terms. That's True. the most important thing. So, yeah. Uh, what's next? What else? There was something else you brought up, Dave. Uh, Nick Diaz calling out George Masvidal, saying, "Oh, you Nick can't Diaz calling out my brother." Not, not only did Nick Diaz call out George Masvidal, Ken Shamrock was calling out George Masvidal, but not to fight. Uh. Well, not to fight him, <laughs> to fight his bare knuckle baller, whatever it is. I was yeah. cracking up. At first, yeah. I was like, "Don't, don't tell me you're thinking about asking him." For no, I mean, come on, man. But no, he knows I think he's George, under contract. What's he doing? I, <laughs> <laughs> I think George has done a great job doing what he does and um, promoting. Um, Absolutely, promoting himself and being himself is the number one thing that I feel like I'm so happy to see. Like this is who he is. This is. You know, he doesn't really talk trash about people until they talk shit about him. He he asks for the fights in respectful ways and still gets the fights he wants because he's a gamer. He's someone that lays it on the line. And, like, he, you could just tell he just loves to fight. I mean, for anyone, that just, it's one thing to see somebody in the backyard fighting. But that's another thing. Now they've taken that and they've grown themselves as a human being and they've made money off of it. And he's developed his career into what he is now. And I'm like, God damn. I tip my hat to you, man. I just, I love it. I love it because, you know, he's a strike force boy. You know and I just, I feel like, man, I love seeing these guys succeed. I love seeing them all succeed. All of them. What I, what I love about Masvidal now is that all these people are now on the George Masvidal 
train. And when look at he's he's got a good career, mm-hmm. but he's got a lot of losses, mm-hmm. and he, those are losses to good people most of the time. But he's had you know his ups and downs in the sport. But it doesn't matter that he's got losses. You know this is where I try to tell. I don't care if someone loses. It's how do they compete. Do they go out there and compete with everything they have every time? And that is what has made George Masvidal who he is and the reason people like him because he will go out and give you everything he has. He is a competitor. He will back down from nobody. And now people are loving him because of that. Think about all the guys, all the best fighters in the world that you've ever talked about. Rand Couture, Chuck Liddell, Muhammad Ali. They're all, I think, majority of them are in double-digit losses. Like they're yeah. talking about guys that have been fought all the best guys and you continue to fight the best guys. You're going to take losses. You're going to take the L man. And that's, what's going to happen. That's going to always happen, but it just has to do with on how well you come back. Did you come back and redeem it? Did you come back and beat that person? Did you, did you come back and have, you know, multiple fights against that person to end up building your legacy? I mean, those are things that are important. I think in the, in the long term of the careers of people that are fighting, if you're not in this to win, that's first. Okay, and if you're not in it to win and make a shitload of money, then what are you in it for? Like, if you're just in it just to try to be famous, oof, that's oof, not a man. good thing. That's not a good thing, man. That's not like, a good thing. Yeah, winning will 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 make you some money, and making some money will help you hopefully, <coughs> you know, establish a lifestyle that you can uh, afford to live for the rest of your life. I, I think I just like how real George Mazadal is. I like how he he's uh, he's kind of just come into his own from the strike force days to the early UFC days he still I felt like he hadn't he hadn't fully matured into what he is now and sure it's easy to say that now because he's coming off wins yeah but I felt like he hadn't put a difference yep it's the number of wins he's strung together compared to what he was able to string together he would get a win you know maybe one or two and then he'd get a loss and then he'd get you know two or three now he's he's got a string of big wins against quality opponents and people are seeing hey man the dude can fight. He's yeah. always been able to fight. I think, though, also that he, his relationship with Yoel Romero has helped him immensely. I've always known that his wrestling was drastically underestimated. It's one of the things that people don't seem to understand how good his wrestling is. Yeah, His wrestling's fucking amazing. And I'm like, you can't teach a grown man how to wrestle. Well, he's obviously walking proof you can because his wrestling is nasty good. He just never, he never gets the credit for it. And... um. That's why he, I feel like he has no... When he took the Ben Askren fight or when he fought Damian Maya, he just didn't care. He's like, whatever, I'll take these guys, no problem. I'll fight the, I'll fight whoever you put in front of me. And that's what you got to love about him and respect about him. But it also makes you more dangerous when you know, even if you get taken down, you're pretty good at getting up. And then if you, if that's if you do get me down to begin with, because he is such a good wrestler. He's got great takedown defense, whether it's against the fence or in the open, in the open field or in the open uh, cage. He knows exactly what he can do now, and I think he's finally found, like, look, I can take this fucking fight anywhere, and I can beat you anywhere. I can beat you from the bottom. I can beat you from the top. I can beat you anywhere I want. And I think that sense, that that gives every fighter a sense of calmness. Like, it doesn't matter who I fight. I can fight anywhere. And that's that's a true mixed martial, mixed martial artist, and I love yep. seeing that in him. I love seeing that some of the other guys, too, that are young and up-and-coming and talented, you see it in them as well. And I think that's one thing that Rory McDonald had from the very beginning. He always had that from the very – when he fought Carlos Condit, I was like, wow, you're really good on the ground. You got good sweeps, good, good stand-up. You're very talented. You're still young. And uh, it's just grown from there for him. 
but like George is that guy that he had a one tool, one tool. He had good boxing, had kind of good wrestling, you know, kind of good kicks, but never really meshed it all together. But in the last two years, I feel like he's done a great job of putting it all together and his confidence is at an all time high. And I think a big portion of it is Yoel Romero helping him and as well as all the other guys at, at ATT. I think they've, they've rallied around him and he is, he's, he's done a great job of coming through. Yeah. He's, He's getting everything he deserves. The whole thing with Nick Diaz and 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 Diaz's interview about uh-huh. you know talking about his brother and stuff. The the problem is you know a lot of people are looking at Nick and going, "What's he saying?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, Nick is one of the nicest guys. I'll give you yes. a story. I told my son long ago. My my son was uh, he was going through all this judging training and doing amateur stuff, and and Strike Force was going to actually have amateur fights camo first came into play in california they were going to do three amateur fights before the strike force professionals you know came on the card mm-hmm. and my son was there early and talking and he had never liked nick diaz he goes no he's he's he's, he's always flipping people off he, he acts like an ass i don't like him yeah i go he's he's one of the nicest guys you know you just got to get to know him nope don't like him well we're there early and i'm, I'm down at, by the cage and all of a sudden, you know, Gilbert Melendez comes down and he's walking towards the back. And Nick comes over and goes, "Hey, John, man. Hey, what's up, Nick? How you doing?" And he comes over to shake my hand. I say, "Hey, Nick, this is my son, Ron." And you know, my son shakes his hand. He goes, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And he just starts rapping with my son. And they're they're there, and he's talking to him for about five minutes. And all of a sudden, Gilbert comes out. "Hey, Nick, will you come back here? I gotta go. I'll see you later, right?" And he takes off. My son looks at me, and goes, "He's the nicest guy." <laughs> <laughs> I try to tell you. I go, really? I, I've been telling you that for how long? And, and he is. He's a he's a really good guy. He's not good when you get him into crowded situations mm-hmm. because he's just not comfortable in those situations. But he's such a good person. And you know, I, I listened to his interview with Ariel, and it's hard to it's hard. To, it meanders, and he's he's coming up with ideas here, and then he gets brought back to this and. He doesn't make a lot of sense, and a lot of people are starting to say, oh, it's because of damage. He hasn't been fighting. Where's the damage? You don't get damaged if you're not fighting. So if Nick wants to come back, great. Let him come back. He hasn't fought in a lot of years now, and I think he's happy not fighting. He doesn't like to fight. Yeah. It's just everyone's got this thing of he's got to fight. No, he doesn't. He's happy not fighting. Let him be. Yeah. Look, I've said it. I've, I just did this whole thing last week, and while you were in Tel Aviv, I did like a thing, kind of talking about the Gilbert fight and potentially him and I fighting again. But it goes back to those guys. It goes back to the I call them the scrap pack because that's what they like to be called. Is it's Gilbert, it's you know Nick and Nate and Jake and you know and some of the other guys that they had had for the longest time. But it's guys that train out there at the El Nino Training Center, and then his wife Carrie Melendez and all of them. You know, right? they're all phenomenal people, man. Yep. Like I, outside of the fact that I've had to fucking fight Gilbert and Nate, like <laughs> I, I've never, I'll never have anything, anything bad to say about any of them, man. They're phenomenal people. I mean, I've had several times where I've met up and t- chatted with Nick, and Nick's always been a fucking amazing guy. Even after, if you guys go back and watch the fight where I fought Nate, don't even watch the fight. Just watch the end after when they announce, you know, the the winner and all that stuff. Nick comes up, kind of pats me on the belly and says, "Hey, man, good job. You did a great job," and just walked away. But not like being a dick. Not like not the things that we've seen sometimes in the past, like with the Mayhem Miller thing and all that. Nah, that's not, that was that's, Mayhem. That, yeah. You know what? That was not. 
let's you talk about that fight. Do you even remember that fight? What fight was that? That was uh, Jake Shields and yes, it was. Was it Dan Henderson? Dan Henderson. Yeah, yeah. In Jake Nashville, Tennessee. Yep. It was five rounds. Dan killed Jake the first round and ran out of gas. Yeah. And Jake mounted him for four rounds, and this is where we talk about not having the power. Yeah. Mounted for four rounds. <laughs> Couldn't have enough power in his strikes for me yeah. to stop the fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and that what happened was all mayhem Miller coming in. And then, you know, I actually ended up get grabbing a hold of Nick and I had Nick on the ground and, you know, cause someone had, he, as we were pushing someone, you know, he tripped over him. He kind of goes down. Wasn't that I took him down. And you know, I'm just trying to hold, just trying to hold on to him saying, Hey man, you got to stop. Right. He's, Let me go, John. Just got to stop, man. <laughs> He's just a good yeah. guy. He's a really They're all good, good guy. guys. And the best part is they stick together and they, they back each other up and that's what brothers are for. Yeah. Like I like I was saying, that whole group is they're just phenomenal to be around. I like how they, like you said, they all stick together. It's just something like with the Nick thing when people are talking about the interview with Ariel. Have you guys not seen any of the past interviews he's done for years? He's all always the same. he's always done that. And I, I'll all give the you, same. I'll give you guys I'll give you guys an uh, something. The UFC did years and years ago. Okay, they did this thing called blind date with. Five UFC fighters. Yeah, you were one of them. <laughs> I was one of them. So I went on this this I TV. That. I, we went on this TV show called Blind Date. So I went. Dude, on they this almost show. made you Blind Date Tim Sylvia. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he was part they, of it. Yeah, Tim Sylvia, Pete Spratt, myself, uh, Tiki Goshen, and then somebody else. I can't remember. There was five of us. There was one a week. There was one. Sorry, one a day for the week. Wow. So it was every night for the whole week. Look, they wanted Nick to do it. They asked Chuck Liddell to do it. Chuck was the champ, I believe, at the time. He's like, I'm not doing that thing. So he said no. But they asked Nick, and Nick said no. Nick told him no. And so then Dana, after that, had put him on all the prelim cards. But there, can you imagine, though, But that's how Nick was. Nick's like, I don't want to be on TV. He's like, I want to be a fighter. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. You know? And, and, and if you guys go back and watch any of the interviews up to that, that's kind of how he's always been. He's always been that way. And... For people to be shocked or think that it's CTE, I mean, I'm sure there is some issues, you know, like with with all of us with CTE. I mean, like for all of us, we've been getting punched in the head since we were young. But I, I don't think it's that with him. I really just think it's like when when the lights turn on, when the camera turns on him, and it's just him with somebody else. It's great and just conversation. But when there's cameras on and lights on, it changes the dynamic of everything for him, and you get a different Nick Diaz. Yeah, you don't get you don't get the Nick Diaz that. All the little kids and all the fans get to see when they're walking around signing autographs, talking to people, taking pictures. He's phenomenal. I've seen him in Vegas several times. Him and his brothers and Gil, all of them, they treat fans and the young kids especially like they're gold, man. He's always They're always giving the kids the first high fives. They're always giving the kids the first pictures. These guys, they're stand-up guys and all the weed shit and all the other stuff you guys just put all that shit aside and just think about for a second they're real they're not only just phenomenal athletes but they're good people well phenomenal athletes he's one hell of a triathlete yeah that's insane. that's what he likes to do more than anything and if that's what you like to do man go where your heart is man that's great as long as you can uh pay your bills and he he's doing that through the whole cbd and cannabis thing that he's got going good for him Somebody, uh, somebody said, "Yeah, you want to do a triathlon?" And, and I said, "So tell me again what that is. So you, you run a marathon, you swim, you swim like three something miles, and then you you ride a 2. bike for like one miles, hundred mile ride, and a twenty six mile marathon." No, yeah, that's I why they have. That's why they have boats and cars. 
Yeah, and I tell people, I say, look, I don't even like to fucking drive 26 miles. Why the hell would I want to run 26 miles? One part of it's 26 miles. I'm not even trying to drive that far. I'm good, man. No, thank you. Look, if the fight was to happen between them, of course, I would tune in and watch it all day long. You know, um, that'd be a great for me. I think it'd be a phenomenal fight. I'd like to see him get maybe one fight in between, like in the before that fight, just to see where he's at, like in three years, four years. What's it been? I think it's been over four years now. He hasn't fought. I did his yeah. last fight, man. It's crazy. His so, last fight was Anderson Silva back yeah, I January thirty first. No idea. I have no idea when though. Like what? What year? Two thousand. Two thousand sixteen. Fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. So wow. almost yeah. Long up time, five years now. Jeez. Anyways, I mean, I'd like to see him get you know maybe a, I don't want to say a tune-up fight, a warm-up fight, but like something along those lines. Someone that you know, and we see where he's at from there. I mean, but hey, that's never been his style. His style has been like, oh, what, two years off? Sure, let me fight Anderson. What yep. do you like? You know, like what do you mean? Okay, let me fight Frank Shamrock. Let me beat him. Let me do. That. He's it's crazy. He's uh, but I I that's one of those fights I'll tune in to watch for sure. All right, question: Did you happen to catch? Ross Pearson's fight where he got hit with the Rolling Thunder? No, I didn't. Ooh. Rolling Thunder? What do you mean by Rolling Thunder? Rolling Thunder is when you do a, you're, you're going to flip down and kick. It's called Rolling Thunder. And he got hit with a guy spun and hit with a heel and just KO'd him stiff. Man, it was one of those you look and go, oh, he's that's a that's not a good knockout. I thought he was just doing boxing only. Now was this kickboxing? No, this is MMA. I thought he was done with MMA and just yeah, boxing so did only. So did I. No. Oh man, he. I'm. I've always been a big fan of him. He, he's one of he's those other guys. Guy. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, really you know? good guy. Tough guy too. Yeah. 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 We. I tried getting him to be my last fight in the UFC instead of Tony Ferguson, but it was before they had told asked me if I wanted to fight Tony. I said. Pearson and I said we wanted to fight. Like we've been talking about it on Twitter. Let's do it. And UFC's like, nope. We gave you somebody. <laughs> we're gonna give you somebody tougher. <laughs> we're gonna, gonna give, you, give Tony. you somebody else. <laughs> yes, but no, it was uh, it was tough. Um, no, I want. I've always always respected him and loved his fighting style. Came forward mainly boxer back then. You know, good to, hard to take down. But man, that sucks. I, I ugh ugh. I just hate seeing guys that I you know fought on some same cards with or guys that I know. And I know that they're good people, and you see them go out there and you fight in other organizations, or you just see them fight, period, and they lose, and they get knocked out like that. He starts kind of, I don't know, it makes me start thinking, maybe I don't want to fight Gil. <laughs> so, you know, you just get that feeling like, man, okay, it's it's maybe it's time. Who knows? Maybe that's, we'll maybe that's what I'm trying to tell. What the hell are you yeah. thinking? Hey, look, you at it, look at it. Look how good life is right now. It you want to go back to getting punched I in the know. face. It, it really is good though. It, life life really is good right now. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I really I leave tomorrow to London for the show this weekend in London. I, I think maybe uh, Fish is gonna call you. You gonna book your flight? We we'll leave. No, 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 no. no. They, they've already got. I gotta go out to California, so I'm oh, flying man. again anyways. Oh jeez, jeez. Oh man. All right. What else? What else? What else we got? Yeah, I got a couple of fine questions if you want. Yeah, let's, let's do some fan questions. I think that's go. great. All right. So. Uh, Chris Charles asks, uh, who are the top five Bellator prospects on the road to superstardom? Ooh. Top five Bellator. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't even want to say. He's not a prospect anymore. AJ McKee, obviously. Yeah. But, but yeah. You know. Got to go a little bit, I guess, 
deeper. Because we, when we when were pick, when we were picking dark horses for the for the tournament, you picked him as if he was a dark horse. I said, "No, he's already a star." Cheater. Hence why now I'm you're a, saying. Here's hence why I'm a genius. <laughs> All right. Just oh. because just because your guys out of the oh, tournament, geez. my guys still there. Do not start to complain. You, I said dark horse, not a star, not not like the guy who's pretty much. Remember that guy to, in that commercial? Yeah. Brilliant. No, that's man. me. <laughs> the, that's a Guinness commercial, by the way. That's a Guinness commercial. Um, so outside of him, outside of him for superstardom. Ooh. Um, Look at you got Anatoly Tokov. That's one right there at 185 pounds. He is a monster, and he's okay. going to be awfully good. Now, nah, but he's, see, he he said stardom. That to me, because. The the English barrier, the... Well, well, you're talking about... I'm talking about... uh, This guy's 27, 28, and 2 now. Mm -hmm. He is so good. You've got... You're right as far as stardom, as far as people liking him and stuff. Yeah. I'm just talking about fighting ability. Gotcha. The other guy is Amazov. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's a monster right there. He's good. So good. Who who um I'm hearing through the who's he fighting next? Who do you I, think? I don't, I don't think he's set up yet. I haven't heard anything about who he's fighting. <laughs> Another guy, you know, you talk about a change of weight class. I would love to see Bellator do that 165, and I'd like mm-hmm. to see what Big Daddy Kiefer Kiefer Crosby does there. Yeah, he's an exciting fighter. He's fun to watch, and he is just getting better. So yeah, he's the guy that I always worry about. And I've you know I've talked to. He's got so much talent, but he gets mad. He gets mm. mad in the fight, and you go, "What are you? Why are you getting mad? Stop!" Because he starts yeah. then just going after guys. It's like, slow down. You know, it's all about just letting things happen. You don't have to end it right this second. I'm but, just trying to. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, guys that could be superstars. I, I believe I, I think because he is good he's got a, kind of a good look to him is Adam Borch. If he has a good performance and wins this tournament, I think he's got a good chance of being a star. Speaks oh, English very well. He's a good looking kid. His fighting style is very nice, you yep. know, for for uh, marketability. Um, M- MVP is there. You look at you know, yeah he's, MVP. He's a star, especially so he, the way he fights. Um, I think Van Stenis, if he can up his fight IQ. You know, and, and you not, not, not fight thing. the way. Yeah, Van Steenis is another one. Um, You know, I know there's a lot of good guys Patrick that we have. Patrick Mix. Yes. That's the guy. Yeah. Patchy you think Mix. so? Patchy Mix, um, he's going to be a champ. That's the champion. Uh, I'm telling you right now. Patchy Mix is, he's trouble for everybody in the Bantamweight division. Interesting. Here's the thing. I think guys like here's another guy, Logan Storley, the superstar. Problem, the the problem with Logan. Love the way he's wrestling though. Yes, the problem is though, it's that it's got to open up. You got to do a little bit more. You got to get better on the feet. You gotta you gotta you gotta try to use a couple more things in there besides just the. Did you see his last fight though? I did not see his last fight. Uh-huh. So talk to me, Goose. So. You know, Storley fought uh, P.J. Brown. Was it P.J. Browning? And you know, P.J. came from Missouri. Got mm-hmm. a real issue with Michael Chandler. Hates Michael Chandler. Good wrestler. 
and Storley just just dominated him, took him down at will yeah. to the point, and then hurt his arm to the point where he couldn't go on in the fight after the uh, first round. He was done. Yeah. But Storley looked great. Storley is just getting better. His stand-up yep. looks so much better. His, his wrestling, and, and you know this is true, there's guys that are really good wrestlers, great wrestlers, and their wrestling does not translate to MMA. Mm-hmm. Where other guys, their wrestling translates to MMA. It's just the yeah. way they set their ta- takedowns, yeah. then how they, you know, enter, how they, how they, you know, flip and tip, and just some guys it transfers well, some guys it doesn't transfer that well. And his mm-hmm. wrestling definitely transfers very well to MMA. He's so good at creating a pressure. He's getting really smart about how to keep guys down so he can hold a, a leg up, a limb up, grab the arm and hit while he's got him down. So he's learning that whole ground and pound is an absolute technique that you have to learn. Yeah. And it's really coming with him. He's opening up areas for him to attack. Logan Storley is going to be something special. Yeah. Look, the buzz with Logan Storley right now is, from what I understand, and I have a lot of friends that actually train over at 365, and they've just basically said, like, he handles Kamar Usman. He handles all those guys that are there, they have a good, talented, a good group of talented athletes there. And he's the guy with the least amount of fights who seems to be handling all those guys at the top prospects over there, which is pretty impressive. But I do agree, like when the lights come on and you put, you're in that cage, things change. Yeah. We've seen, we've heard about Vitor Belfort being a superstar in the, in the gym, but then when it comes on, the lights turn on in big fights, he sometimes couldn't perform. Now that has to do with, can he, can Logan carry this from the gym to the, to the actual fight night. Yeah, I mean, look, I, there's no doubt whether he's been dominant. That's not been the issue. I just would hate to see him run in, run into being one of those guys like a Jake Shields or a John Fitch, knowing that he is extremely athletic. At least with John, like with Fitch, he knew he wasn't the best athlete. You know, he always said he was like, I'm not the best athlete. I'm just the hardest worker. <laughs> and he didn't try to tell people that he was, you know, but he uh, he made some adjustments to make to try to make his game a little bit more exciting. You know, not all, they didn't always pan out, didn't always work out. But I'd hate to see Logan Storley get caught in that because I think he's got a good look to him. I think he's very marketable. I think his his wrestling does translate, like you were saying, from from wrestling on a mat to fighting in a cage. And yep. those are things that not everyone has, you know. And, and he's get, got Robbie. He's got Robbie Lawler teaching yes. him all the time, and that's a that's a huge asset, right? There. Yeah. And you could tell how Robbie's pretty connected to him that they have a good relationship and a good friendship, and it goes beyond just just that, you know. They. Yep. They're willing to help each other through thick and thin, which is very nice, which is a good, you know, and they have they have a good, you know, that group of guys down there at 365. It's If you're going to get a lot of talented guys, I mean, at least you're around a good group of guys that are at the top of the echelon right now. So that'll give you a good judgment on where you belong, you yep. know, in the sport. So, I mean, outside of that, those, I would say for me, it'd be AJ McKee is number one, obviously for the most uh, talented, or not talented, but the chance to be the biggest superstar biggest upside. Biggest yeah upside. biggest upside is aj mckee um i i still believe in aaron pico making a comeback i think he's got plenty of time to do that i i'm not saying he'll be a superstar but he's already i think pretty much kind of a star even with losses but i think he'll always people either want to see him lose from the wrestling background they're gonna want to see him lose because they're you know some of them didn't like him when he was making the jumps and the gains and the mma fans that have followed him in his wrestling career I think those fans are going to want to see him succeed. So you have Pico. I think Adam Boric has a good chance of being um, a, a star also if he ends up winning the tournament or gets to the to the to the main event. I think that could happen. And then um, I, I think Logan Storley as well. Uh, who was the other one? You said Tokov. Patchy Mix. Patchy Mix. Tokov. Tokov. Um, 
talented, super talented. I mean, all, all these guys, all these the Russian guys are whew, nasty good. Yep. We just we just got to get them. I think Khabib was having a hard time breaking into the scene as well until he started getting better with his inner English and he started getting better with his interviews. And I'd like to see them start making those gains. If we can start making those gains, I think that will help their superstardom get there a little bit faster. Yep. That's it. What else, Dave? Next question. Uh, Big John, are there any big fights that you didn't referee that you wish you had? <laughs> ah. You know, I never looked at it that way. If I didn't referee something, it was like, okay, you know, no big deal. I, I never really cared if I, if I was going to pick something that I wish I'd refereed. It's probably yeah. better. It's probably better you didn't referee the big some a couple of the big fights. You get to sit and watch them then. <laughs> like it's oh, it, honest, honestly, a lot of the ways that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I never looked at it that way. I really didn't. So, you know, if I didn't referee a fight, I didn't re referee a fight. Um, I know it was funny. Brock Lesnar always you know, would come up to me and says, you know, God damn it. You're supposed to referee one of my fights. And I said, yeah, one of these days I will. I never yeah. did. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Well, I didn't know that. One, one of Brock's fights. So I, I would have made him happy and not had him pissed off at me. <laughs> uh, to go off of that, that, that question, I want to ask a question myself. What's the fight that you did ref that the underdog was such an underdog that you didn't think that underdog was going to win? That I didn't think. I, I, I George St. Pierre has two losses. I yeah. did both of them. Oh, okay. Okay. One of them was to Matt Sarah. Yep. Now, Matt Sarah was such a huge underdog yeah. in that fight. But I will tell you that, you know, I always go in the back and talk to fighters, as you know, and you know, go over things. And and when I went in the back and I talked to Matt, he was you know, just sitting there and he was, he was playing fucking cards with Ray Longo. And he was just happy as fucking anybody could be just to be – and we were in Houston at the Toyota Center, and he was just, man, I'm so happy to be here. He goes, I'm just going to go out and have fun, right? And I said, absolutely, man. You know, go over everything. All right. I leave. I go to George St. Pierre's room, and George St. Pierre, is in, he's not even dressed. He's a mess. He's been arguing with his manager at the time. He's pissed off. And David Loazzo was in his corner, you know, in his room. And David says, he, he goes, he's going to be okay, John. I said, you sure? Because it doesn't look like it to me. I said he's not even thinking about his opponent. He go. He says, uh -huh. "Yeah, I, I, I know he, he, he'll get there." I said, "Okay," and I left. And uh -huh. I went out and I talked to my wife who was sitting in the crowd, and I said, "George St. Pierre is going to lose tonight." <laughs> wow. And she goes, and she goes, "What?" And I go, "I'm just telling you, he, he is everywhere in this world, but in this building. Wow. He is not thinking about this fight. He is just." somewhere else i said i just see bad things happening and sure enough bad things happened good things wow. for matt sarah so that was probably the biggest upset you know if you're gonna pick one it had to be it yeah did you were did you do the uh anderson silva weidman fight i did not one herb no. dean did, did those gotcha yeah Never that was that was a fight i had just so happened to i put a thousand dollars down on weidman like probably about four hours before that and i was just one of those ah fuck it you know like Anderson's getting older. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. <laughs> so we got lucky. Got lucky. I was yeah. I was happy. That was probably the 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 luckiest I've ever been in my whole life. That fight. <laughs> so I, I could never I could never complain about any of the fights that I was able. I did all the the big trilogy fights. You know, maybe not yours. You know, and everything. But you know, Randy Couture against Chuck Liddell. I did all three of those. You know, yeah. just so many. You know, I did. Cain Velasquez against Dos Santos the first time on 
Fox, you know, and that yeah. was Kane's first defense as the, as the champion. Didn't yeah. go too well for him. No. You, you knew you knew he was injured going in. I knew he was injured too. Yeah. You knew he had a bad knee, but you know, it just you know, I I would never sit there and say, oh, I wish I had done this, and I I got enough. So yeah, I have no complaints. Next one from Sean Barco. If DC beats Stipe and retires, which fight do they make for the vacant title? I mean, probably Engano and Stipe again. Yeah. And uh, Gano would definitely be in the in the talk, in my opinion. And yeah, you'd probably have to go with Stipe. I I would say uh, it could be that you know it could be somebody else. But what, again, Rumble comes back. Who Rumble? Is coming back. Uh, no, Rumble. I think I think Rumble's gonna end up going to two hundred five. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, weight's no. coming. Wait, weight's coming no down. Way. Weight's yeah. coming down. Yeah. <laughs> weight's coming down. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. He needs to be at heavyweight. He'll, he'll be no, a he lot should. Happy. He'll be I a think, lot happier at heavyweight. I think he'd be better at heavyweight. We fought. He's fought heavyweight before. Do you, I yeah. mean, when he went to the World Series of Fighting, who was yeah, his first fight? Andre Arlovski, I believe. Bingo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. just fine. Broke his jaw. Yep. Yeah. No, he's got the power, man. He's got the power to starch anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was that was another thing. I, I did this thing last week while you were in Tel Aviv. I'm not sure if you if you listen to the video. Look, my complaint is this with Stipe is that he complains a lot and whines a lot, and, and I'm a Stipe fan, and that's why it kind of it kind of affects me a little bit. I'm like, I, and people want to say that I'm, I'm being a homer for DC. It has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with DC. Fight somebody, and I know he's coming off an injury. I guess apparently he had some uh, damage to his eye after the last fight. This was what five months ago, I think they fought, uh, four or five months ago, four months ago. Um, and I understand that we're healing up. But from what I understand, the fight's not going to happen if it is to happen and not until like March now, maybe even longer than that. If they can push it out even further than that. Um, but I just want to like, I think that you're not helping your cause the longer you put this off. And let's just say you fight DC and DC beats you. You're not doing, you're not doing the UFC any favors. They're not going to make you, they're not going to push you back into that title shot again. If you lose to DC, they're going to be. I could see them saying, "You know what? Let's give somebody else a chance." Yeah. If, if you're continuously, he was continuously whining when DC was was um, when DC was the champ, how he wanted the rematch, and then DC went and fought Derek Lewis because Derek Lewis had beat Volkov, I believe, is what his name was, right? He beat the the tall Russian guy. He um, so DC took that fight with a broken. Well, I think his hand was broken or his hand was still fractured or whatever. He took that fight knowing that he shouldn't have fought. But the, the UFC had called him and told him, hey, we need you to do this for us. We need this fight to happen. We need a main event. Da, 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 da. So that's why he took the fight. So he had a fight in the, in the middle of all that with, a hurt, with an injury. And then he turned around and he fought even sooner when he fought again against Stipe when he shouldn't have. He still wasn't fully healed up and he still took that fight and fought. In the meantime, people were criticizing me for what I said about the Stipe thing. But let's remind, Stipe didn't fight at all. He's coming straight off of a off of the loss to DC almost a year later until he got the shot. While DC yep. was waiting for Brock, I understand it's frustrating, which is very frustrating, I think, for fighters when you're waiting for the champ to like say, hey, let's fight. But DC had the exit. His exit strategy was to fight Brock and then retire. And then the fight fell through. But then now you have Stipe saying he's going to wait for Tyson Fury. And I'm like, I, I, like it doesn't make, you're not, you're I'm not making say, any sense, man. I am so tired of hearing 
MMA guys saying, I want to fight the champion in boxing in the in boxing. Okay. Yeah. Stipe, I hate to tell you, Tyson's gonna light you the fuck up. Yeah, it would be okay? horrible. It, I, I don't sometimes don't understand. I'm not Yes, you have good hands. You don't have that. You no. you're not working on that all the time. You know, George Masvidal just said, you know, he wants to fight Canelo. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> okay? No, you don't. Yeah. Okay, he's going to light you the fuck up. Yeah. He is, it, it would be like him going in against you in MMA. Yeah. Okay? He doesn't have a fucking chance. You know, right now, Tyson Fury goes in and fights Stipe in MMA. Guess what? Tyson's no fucked. You know, this whole crossover thing, and it's because of what Connor and Mayweather did. Stop. Yep. Stick to you. Stick to what you do. Let them stick to what they do. If Tyson Fury wants to train in MMA, I saw him training with you know Darren Till. Big deal. You know that doesn't mean anything. If he wants to take a fight, great, take a fight. Yeah. You know, but it's in MMA. Quit, quit going and playing another man's game because you're gonna get beat. Yeah, I just uh, look for me. I think people are thinking that I'm I'm ragging on this whole deal because of DC. And no, I'm not ragging on it. I just it's because DC. Yeah, you're is ragging deep, on it. No, because Stipe is the one. <laughs> Because Stipe is the one that's currently doing it, you know. T Wood, T Wood was doing the same thing. I, I can't remember with who he was trying to get the fight with, but he kept trying to like fight other people besides Stephen Thompson again for the second or the whatever time, you know. And so I, I, that frustrated me as well. Other guys, you know, like there was talk about the Khabib fight in GSP, and sure, Khabib wanted that fight, but when he realized like, hey, D. UFC didn't really want to put it on. He's like, all right, look, let's move on. Let's go on to the next person. Let's fight Connor. Or let's fight, you know, Tony. I believe now he's already, I don't know if they've announced it, but it sounds like it'll be Connor sometime in like March. You know, so my point is that is I, I appreciate when the guys say, hold hey. it, hold it. I didn't hear that one. Are you telling me they're going to put Connor against Oh, sorry, Khabib not Connor. March? No, 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 no. Tony, sorry, Tony. Tony. Yeah, my okay, apologies. My you. apologies. No, no. My apologies. God damn. All no, 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 no. I'm here. I'm hearing that it's going to be like it's going to be pretty close to, to March. They're trying to get the final details, but it sounds I was gonna like say, March. they have lost their no. fucking minds. No, 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 no. Khabib doesn't. He wants he wants the Tony fight. He's wanted the Tony fight. You know, um, well, let's see. That's only been made what five times. I know it's it's been <laughs> been ridiculous. Those poor guys, man. I mean, I, they were there. I can't believe they were there in Vegas, ready to go, and then Tony fell off the stage and died. Oh, hold it, hold it. Khabib, Khabib, yeah, not making weight. Khabib not making weight, and the, the ended lip, up in a hospital. The liver failure or the kidney failure or something yeah. happened. Like this is all. It's just crazy. All like a day or two before the fight. Nuts, man. Nuts. That fight's cursed. It is. It's <laughs> a fight is totally cursed. And if they make it again, you know that Dana is sitting there going, "Holy shit, what's going to happen this time?" Yeah. yeah, I I wonder if I wonder if they're going to have a backup 155 pounder. Already like they're going to have probably one oh, or two backup fights on the know, card. You know they're going to. They're going to have that or put them both in bubbles. Yeah. You know, they got those blow-up bubbles so they don't get hurt. Just put them in the bubbles. Well, you've seen Tony train. I don't think he knows how to train in a bubble. So uh, he's gonna hit steel pipes. But who who's who would be who would they put on the card as an alternate? The, give me some give me some names that you think that would be an alternate, great alternates for that. Oh my god, yeah, that's that's gonna be tough. But at one fifty five, somehow I would think that they would have. You can't put Poirier back in there. No, he just had. No, hit. I think right he just away. had. He just had surgery. I think on his hip. Oh, that's right. He had. I think Gate Gaethje or Kevin Gaethje. Lee. Gaethje Cerrone's would be the guy that I number five. 
Or who? Cerrone's number five. Cerrone. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can go Cerrone. They, I think from what I'm they, hearing, they Cerrone. Always, they, and, can always, they can always rely on Cerrone yeah. being there and being available. But I think Gaethje's the guy that you say, hey, we're going to pay you to be ready for this fight. And he, and he yeah. steps in there. Yeah. I think if you have Cerrone fight Kevin Lee and you have Gaethje fight, who else is in that top? Paul Felder. Um, you can put Felder. Yeah. Dan Hooker. Well, I think if you if you had Felder and and Gaethje fighting each other, right, and if something did happen, then you would just drop Felder and you give Gaethje the 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 title shot, or whoever was. Wow, Paul Felder's event. going. Hey, thank you very much. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, <laughs> we're, t we're, t we're talking viewerships here. The Irish Dragon. You don't just <laughs> yeah. drop the Irish Dragon, man. Sorry, but you know Paul Felder's a great fighter. He really no, he is. is. Good. He's extremely good. He is extremely so good. good. But when you're talking viewerships. Gaethje versus Khabib or Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson is the fight to make. Yep. It really yep. is. That and then who was um and then for me I I have I have invested interest in Kevin Lee because I, I, I'm excited about his his resurrection from TriStar to things he just did and and uh I'd like to see him, you know, fight. Coming so. off a big knockout win, man. Yep. All right, give me awesome. one more. Let's do one more. Yep. Um the last one. Here is from WMMA scene, and they're asking, what are the chances of either Bellator or UFC adding a women's atom weight division in 2020? It's a fast-growing division around the world, and the first uh, the first of the two to start one would get a major leg up. An atom weight? Yeah. Adam, weight, atom weight is 105. And Bellator has actually had a couple of 105 fights mm -hmm. but we just we don't have an official weight class with a champion in bellator and the ufc never does 105s the, the smallest they do is 115 at straw weight and i just don't see that no. weight class coming around anytime soon and, and the, re the real reason is, is even with women you don't find women that are fighting at that weight class there's not that many of them 105 pounds, you don't see a lot. 115 is about that smallest that you get. You can get yeah. a good influx of talent. 125 is much better as far as the amount of women that are within that weight category. So I just don't see 105 happening in Bellator or the UFC. Yeah, I don't see it happening for the biggest reason, the number one reason, I believe, is that you can never have the main event a card. It's just not gonna. I don't think it would sell. It'd be very rare that you'd be able to find somebody that could main event. Sure, you may have one person on that card that'll be a superstar, but the problem is you, to find two people that would match up well enough to be a main event would just be too hard. And then you're basically funding a whole weight class that can never really main event a card. And that's not what promotions are in this for. They're in it to make money. Yep. The bottom, that's the bottom line. And again, the reason why I would say that is because I was subject to that when the UFC had no money and they cut the 155-pound division. They looked at all there of us go. and they said, hey, the smallest people on the thing get cut. There you go. It's like, hey, it's, it's hard to have no you guys. No one remembers yeah. that. No yeah, one remembers but, you know, the, that they actually were going to get rid of the lightweights and the 155-pound yeah. fighters because they were too small. Yeah. But now we're the now we're now we're the the toughest and the best in the in the world and in the sport itself and you know well whatever. <laughs> <laughs> let's do let's do one more let's do one more one more. You got time, um, John? Of course. You're getting a little tired. I know you're on East Coast time. I'm good, baby. You're on Tel Aviv time. <laughs> I don't have another I don't have another one on the thing, but I do have one for both of you guys. Um, so with Jake Hager uh, in Bellator, he's got he's two. Two wins and one no contest, right? Mm -hmm. um, yep. 
How far, based on what you've seen so far, how far do you think he can make it? Uh, can he make it to the title? Mm. Go ahead, John. I'll let you go first. The one thing that I, I put Jake Hager in the, the category of the Brock Lesnar and that he's got a very solid amateur wrestling base. And he's he is a good athlete. He's got good, you know, qualities about him. He's long. He is he doesn't carry extra weight. He's strong. He's got very long levers. Uh, what he's trying to make up ground in is that he's a 30-some-year-old man trying to learn the stand-up game, and that just doesn't happen overnight. And you know, one of the things that you you do when you're working with someone is you can't put them in with people that are going to kill him. you got to put them in there with people that, hey, are going to let him you know, work the techniques that you're trying to teach him and – let him, you know, hit, you know, to a point and touch him if he opens up in a in a in the wrong way, but don't open up on him if he's doing these things right. And all that just takes time for confidence to come in for him to take and move that from the training session into the actual fight. And I look and say he's been doing this now for a year and a half at the most. And to ask for that to be, you know, enough time it's not he's going to take an, another three years for him to be able to fight top competition and to actually possibly be successful against that top flight competition but you, you don't know. think with the age factor that, that he's going to try and maybe get one or two more wins and then just kind of uh like speed train it like to the top kind of like kind of like brock dead or whatever any anybody can you know speed train it to the top and you you take a look at when Brock Lesnar came in, look at the people that, that he fought. For, you know, first off, he had his first fight in K1 against mm -hmm. the Korean guy. I can't think of his name. It was at the LA Coliseum. Yeah. Okay. And he mauled him with wrestling. And then he came into the UFC, and his first fight was Frank Mir. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to maul Frank Mir, and he ended up getting knee barred in the end of that. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back and he fights, I believe, Heath Herring. Mm -hmm. and bull rushes Heath, knocks him over, and stays on top of Heath and does a good job of just using his wrestling. But mm -hmm. it was the fact that Brock never put the time in or had enough time, I'm not saying that he didn't put time in, didn't have enough time to back that learning of the striking elements of the sport, and he did not like to get hit. And when he mm -hmm. got hit, you saw him do things that, professional fighters do not do when a professional fighter gets hit they're going to try to roll they're going to try to counter they're going to try to you know lateral movement move themselves out they are not going to start to turn their head mm -hmm. if you start to take your eyes off of what is attacking you just because your eyes go off of it doesn't mean that it's stopping what it's doing <laughs> you have got to become friends with the fact that you're going to get hit and i need to return when that happens and if you're not returning when someone is attacking you, you're in a bad position. That's what happened with Brock, and people finally started to see it. Look at, look at what Alistair Overeem did to Brock Lesnar. Mm -hmm. Alistair Overeem marched Brock Lesnar down because Brock got hit by a couple of shots and went, oh, my God, that was horrible, and everything started to fall apart. You can't do takedowns when you are – trying to lean back to get away from someone punching you in the face or in the body so you know jake needs time and if he doesn't get that time then 
one of the upper level guys are going to tear him apart right now. Yeah, they're not just going to push him into the title shot unless he beats one of those mid level guys that's the next step up. And he's not ready for that right now. Um, nope. And the thing with me is, I don't know if he'll ever get a title shot. I don't know if that's even his goal or his purpose. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he may just be. Be, yeah, he may just be in there to make money. You know, I mean, he knew the results at, at WWE. He knew he already knew he was winning, knew he was losing. I think in this is like, hey, the, my results, I have the outcome, but at least I'm making money doing what I'm doing, and he enjoys it. Um, you know, he's pro wrestling as well as doing MMA right now. He's in a different promotion for wrestling. Yeah, he's in the, yeah, he's in the AEW. Yeah. So, yeah. but what I'm saying though is that he, I think with him, the progress of what he's doing is fine. He's cool with slow playing it and making, you know, and having fights against guys that are slow levels of and raises a competition. I don't know if the end game for him is going to be a title shot given his age because he is older. But if you were to put him, let's say even in a year, guys like Javi Ayala and guys like Karatanov would just tear him up. I mean, and I'm not trying to knock him. I'm sure, he can make a lot of gains. But we're talking; these guys have been training for a long time, and you just can't—you can't do that to him. I mean, like wrestling-wise, he's talented, but he's still trying to get figure out how to use his length, his range. You know, um, his stand-up is um, needs a lot of work, a lot of work. And then the transition from stand-up to wrestling—it's not fluid either. So he needs to figure those things out. That's yep. some time. That's it. All right, my man. Well, hey, thanks, and uh, John, I will see you when I get back from London. You have a great trip in London. Have good <laughs> fights. I know you've only got like 37 fights to do there. I love so, them all. Uh, <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> ah, I love it. It's awesome. Um, have a good trip, bro. All right, my man. I'll see you when I get back. All right, man. Take it easy. Bye. Later, bud. Later, bud.